0: The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad that you've joined us today and uh, we're going to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes. Uh, We do that by answering questions. So if you've got a Bible question that uh, you've always wondered about or maybe something we say today will stir a question in your mind, uh, give us a call. There's a phone number uh, on the bottom of the screen and there's also a website where you can. Uh, get on the uh, internet and leave us a message there, and we'll get your question put in the stack and get to it as quickly as we can. So that's what we do here, and uh, we learn a little bit of Bible each week. I'm Steve Tandy. Let me introduce the two helpers I got here today. Toby Levering's here in the middle. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. And Jeff Martin down there anchoring that in. Good morning, Steve. Glad you guys are here and studied up, ready to go. Uh, we got a lot of good questions today, so let's learn a little Bible. But first. We'll let our viewers have a question, so here's your trivia question of the day. Uh, Which bird did Noah release first? Uh, He turned a dove and a raven loose, and uh, which one went first? So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know a little bit of flood history there. (laughs) All right, Toby, looks like you drew number one, so get us going.
1: Long-time viewers of Know Your Bible know that we never ask for money on the program, but that doesn't mean we don't get questions about money, and we have our first one is a question about money: uh, Does donating money to charities count as tithing and that 's a an interesting question. My answer is no, not exactly. Uh, tithing technically means ten percent, so it means to give ten percent of your income and you 're supposed to uh, the, 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 the tithe was something under the Old Testament that was commanded for the Israelites to give uh, to the work of the Lord, at the, to give to the temple, and uh, we read about that. One particular scripture is found in Malachi chapter 3. This won't be on your screen, but I'm going to read it for you if you're following along in your Bible. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. So the tithe was something that was commanded under the Old, Testament, under the Old Covenant, the Mosaical Covenant, was something they were required to do. It wasn't the only time that they were to give. There was something called offerings which was over and above the 10% now in the new testament under the new covenant of christ there's no tithe specifically commanded uh... we always say on this program it's probably a good place to start because in many ways the new is surpasses the old so if you haven't ever started giving before a tithe is a good place to start but that's giving to be done to your local church now if you want to go over and above that with charitable giving or special good works or missions or uh, supporting orphans homes or things like that those are certainly fine but technically speaking, the tithe is 10%. That's where you start. Uh, if you want a starting point, that would be 10%. And then uh, any extra charitable giving would be outside of that. But there's really not a specific command under the New Covenant. Let me give you a New Testament scripture found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must de- give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a heart thing. Uh, but I do know the principle is true that you cannot outgive God. But that's the technical difference between the tithe and charitable giving. Hope that helps you.
0: All righty. Question about baptism, a viewer wants to know, could two people baptize each other? Uh, Well, the answer is they certainly could. Uh, The real question is, does the Bible say anything about that? And the Bible doesn't say anything about it, uh, because the Bible doesn't mention any rules for the baptizer. Uh, In fact, usually it doesn't even mention who does the baptizing. Uh, the few times when we are told who baptized somebody, uh, it wasn't Christian. Uh, Philip baptized the eunuch, and we have a few other cases like that where we know somebody baptized uh, somebody. Paul says he baptized some people. Uh, but usually the Bible just doesn't mention it because it's not really about the baptizer. Uh, now, I think having a Christian do the baptizing, somebody maybe that's taught you about the Bible, introduced you to Jesus. uh, Something like that's certainly a great idea and uh, should probably be the the good practice. But to answer our viewers' questions, no, the Bible doesn't say anything about who can baptize. Uh, So two people certainly could. Uh, In fact, I know of some historic examples of that, one that's kind of interesting. Uh, It was back in the early 1800s, a lot of people in the United States were starting to get tired of the denominational rules and regulations that they came from when they immigrated over from Europe. Uh, So they started deciding, let's just study the Bible and let's just be Christians. Uh, A couple of people that kind of started that movement, which we call today the Restoration Movement. Uh, were a father and son, Thomas and Alexander Campbell. Uh, They were Presbyterians, and they got kind of fed up with all the denominational rules that they had to deal with, Uh, so they just began studying the Bible. So let's just sit down with the Bible, let's study it, Uh, we'll speak where it speaks, and we'll be silent where it's silent, and we'll do what it says. Well, after studying for a little while, uh, they said, you know, in the Bible, baptism is by immersion and baptism is for adults, not little children. Uh, It's adult believers that need to be immersed. And they looked at each other and said, neither one of us have done that. Uh, So they decided, well, we need to be biblically baptized. Uh, So they baptized each other. So there's a historical example and uh, certainly a you're in a situation where two people study the Bible and decide we need to be baptized, and uh, there's no other Christians around. There's certainly nothing, nothing wrong with it. God will, uh, God will approve of that. I think so. Hope that helps you understand baptism. That Jeff. Makes sense. Nothing <laughs> should stop you.
2: I've got an interesting question from a viewer who wants to know: Is it right to pray to a dead relative, because they are part of the spirit world? Um, and the Bible's actually pretty clear on this if we look at a verse in Deuteronomy. So let's start and look at that and see if we can get an answer here. Deuteronomy 18, 10, and 11. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. Uh, so, this is in the Old Testament, but God doesn't change, so it's very obvious based on this verse that a believer should be very careful about doing these things and should probably avoid uh, attempting to talk to the dead. Also prayers, biblically speaking, are for God. Uh, there's nothing that tells us that our, our loved ones who have gone on can hear anything that, that we say uh, when we attempt to pray to them. Um, You might think that praying to the dead isn't something that happens often, but it most often happens nowadays by prayers to the saints, asking them to intercede for us. And actually that happens quite often, Uh, but there's absolutely nothing in the Bible unless you twist and add to a few scriptures, a few verses, that shows us that this should be a common practice for believers. Uh, we don 't need the saints to intercede for us there 's nothing we need from a relative who has gone on. Uh, Jesus took care of those things, and also why simply put, why would we pray to man when we can pray to Almighty God, which is a, a an unimaginable privilege? Uh, so the Bible is clear uh, we should avoid avoid praying to the dead, including dead relatives. number one because there 's nothing that shows that they can hear those prayers, so it would be in vain. And number two, because the Bible
0: forbids it. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, while you were answering that, I got thinking there's probably some people that have lost a longtime spouse or something mm-hmm. that still in their grieving process or just their good memories kind of talk to them every once in a yeah, while. That's part of grief. And, yeah. and uh, I, I wouldn't want somebody to think we're saying, no, don't do that. Just play like you never knew them, uh, <laughs> it's not that, but praying to somebody, uh, asking for something is completely different than remembering and still conversing in a way with a, a loved one, I think. Yeah, it's a good point. Okay, let's talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we know a lot of our viewers are solid Bible students and study their Bible all the time. Uh, some of you haven't got started in that yet, and we advocate Bible study on this program. So uh, one way that we found is a good way to help folks is we've got some online courses and some uh, mail courses that are good ways to study the Bible. Here's a first set. Uh, there's eight lessons in this series, and it's just a good introduction to the Bible, good basic Bible study. Uh, we're happy to send that to you absolutely free of charge. Uh, We've also got some more advanced courses that we're happy to share with you. Once you get through that first one, uh, we've got a number of more detailed studies. Uh, Like I say, absolutely free of charge. We pay the postage even. So uh, happy to have you study that way. And we've got some online courses. If you'd like to uh, do it without waiting for the mailman to come, you can sit down with your phone or your tablet and study all the time. Uh, Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and get you started on those online courses. So uh, all are good ways to study the Bible. Use the phone number or the website if you'd like to request that mail course or uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and get studying the Bible with Know Your Bible Study tools. All right, Toby, what's your viewer after? Well, uh, the viewer wants to know about
1: baptism, and they ask, what is the right way to be baptized? Acts 2.38 or Matthew 8, 28, 28:19, uh, And my answer to that is yes. Uh, on this program, we take the totality of Scripture. We don't pick and choose, and we don't believe that there are two different baptisms or that there's a difference in those verses. They say slightly different things, uh, but we're talking about the same thing. Uh, let's... Uh, I, kind of put part of each of those verses together, we can look at Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 2:38 says this, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is Peter pre- preaching the first gospel sermon, uh, day of Pentecost. And of course, thousands of people responded on that day. They were cut to the heart. The Scripture says, and then we're baptized into Christ. Uh, and so then the viewer says, okay, what's the difference between that, or what about this baptism that Jesus talked about in Matthew 28:19, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? So there are some folks. If you don't kind of understand what this viewer is asking, there are some folks who kind of get hung up, and they say, well, we we need to do it just in the name of Jesus. Well. Uh, I understand that. That's what Peter preached. Uh, Jesus himself said, Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Are these two different baptisms? No. Uh, we know in the early church there was only one baptism. Uh, it was, as we talked about earlier, uh, adults. It was by immersion. Uh, it was... For a certain reason, for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we see all of that from Scripture. So our, I think we're just kind of getting in a little bit uh, hung up on semantics here there Jesus didn't contradict himself he didn't tell the apostles to baptize one way and then Peter diverted from that that's not what happened and that's what you have to say if you want to pick one verse over the other so whenever we have two verses we just take them together and we go ahead and baptize and I think that what we're getting at is that there's no precise formula there's no exact wording for what to say when you're baptizing someone. Uh, this the, what What is said is probably more for the benefit of those who are watching or seeing this happening, so they understand what's happening. Uh, but when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. Uh, you're baptized, I say, by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Understanding that those are unified as one, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and understanding uh, that there's no precise formula We understand that when you baptize, either way that you say it is fine. But the main point is so that people who might be watching or seeing this happening understand that this is more than just getting wet. Uh, Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, because I want to really emphasize this point. Paul writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to you, uh, to you all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there's no exact precise formula. There was only one baptism in the early church, uh, and so we baptize uh, as Jesus taught and as the first century church practiced. Hope that
0: helps. Okay, question about uh, children and heaven. The viewer says it sounded like you said all children go to heaven, uh, but only those who have faith go to heaven young or old. Uh, all right, I understand, I think, what our viewer is saying, that salvation is by faith and you got to have faith to go to heaven and and all of that. Uh, the problem with that is uh, babies don't have faith. Uh, so either you've got to, if what you're saying is the principle, then you either got to figure that babies somehow can have faith or you 've got to conclude that babies don't go to heaven, uh, so when you say only those with faith go to heaven, it makes a real problem, which just doesn't sound like God, that he would send babies not to heaven uh, because they don 't have faith so uh, and I realize there's some people that teach babies are born with the guilt of Adam's sin. Uh, Let me just kind of summarize what we believe the Bible teaches and maybe that will help you understand why we would say something about children going to heaven. Uh, We believe that children, uh, babies, are born with the consequences of Adam's sin. We're all born with the consequences. We're all going to die. We suffer on this earth and all that. Uh, But we're not born with the guilt of Adam's sin. Uh, Ezekiel talks about that. says that. You're not guilty for something that somebody else did. Uh, You die because of your sin. So children are born without guilt. They're born innocent. And salvation is by faith. So at some point, uh, children will get to the point uh, they will mature enough where they can understand uh, right and wrong and sin and righteousness and who God is and uh, realize uh, when they do something wrong when they sin. Uh, At that point, when they understand that and are able to understand that, uh, then they have a choice of believing uh, that Jesus died for them or not. Uh, Once they believe that Jesus died for them, they have a choice of repenting of their sins, they have a choice whether they will confess the Lord, uh, Jesus as Lord, and they have a choice whether they will obey in baptism. Uh, All of those are commanded uh, in the New Testament uh, and children are not, they don't have the ability, they don't have the capacity to obey all of those commands. So uh, there's the period in there between an innocent baby being born to when they understand enough uh, to obey Christ's commands. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us when that is. Uh, we've made up a term, we call it the age of accountability, uh, but we don't know when that age is, and I think that's because all people mature at different times. Uh, some pretty young children may be able to grasp all of that and understand it, and some may be well into their teens or uh, even 20s before they're capable of understanding it. Uh, so uh, the period between Being born innocent and being accountable, understanding, and able to obey or reject God is the period that we're talking about when we say that children go to heaven. Now, let me show you one verse that helps us understand that and reinforce it. Uh, In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus himself said, Let the little children come to me, and don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus implied there pretty strongly that uh, children are, are going to heaven. And he said another place that uh, we have to become like little children to go to heaven. So uh, when we say all children go to heaven, yeah, that's what we're talking about. It's that period between being born and being accountable for understanding who God is and what he commands. So hope that Explains that a bit. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jeffrey.
2: All right, viewer wants to know: Is it true that there wasn't any rain on the earth until the flood in Noah's day? Uh, and I've actually I've heard this put forth before. And uh, the answer to that question, simply put, is we don't know for sure uh, biblically. But this is a common question based on a few verses. So let's look at those verses. First of all, we have Hebrews 11:7 says by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith so there are many who interpret that phrase events as yet unseen to mean that people during that time had not seen rain so the rain that was going to make the flood this is something that they hadn't seen yet Uh, but if you really think about that verse it could just as easily meant just the events that were coming to pass the events the flood the things that were going to happen that no one knew about because he was warned but no one didn't so this verse is usually then coupled with uh, genesis 2 6 so let's look at that as well it says and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground now this one's A little more interesting here, it seems to show that in the early days there was a mist and a dew on the ground that was sufficient to keep the earth watered and to keep plants and and animals and things alive with water. But again, this verse does not say beyond a doubt, it doesn't say definitively that there was no rain on the earth. Uh, Also, if you look at Genesis chapter 7, when God was was warning Noah and explaining to him that he was going to send rain, it seems that Noah understood what he was talking about, uh, which, which tends to, if we use our reasoning, say, okay, well, maybe it had rained on the earth before. So back to the original answer, uh, even based on these two verses, we can't know for sure. Um, but, again, based on these two verses, it could be entirely possible. So, again, we
0: don't know. All righty. And there's quite a few questions we get that yep, yep. we don't know for sure, but <laughs> we know all the things that are important to know God right. told us. Yep. Whether it had rained before or not, not that no. big a deal. Nope. It was to Noah. <laughs> Just isn't increased his faith if it had never rained before. That was really some faith. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, Churches of Christ provide this program for you and we like to thank some of our supporters each week. Uh, Today let's talk about the church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Our partners up there that uh, take care of all the calls and everything we get in the South Dakota market. Uh, We broadcast out of Sioux Falls and uh, this congregation on Southeastern Avenue does a great job of uh, keeping track of things and helping us support the program there. So if you're looking for a church home, drop in and visit the uh, Christians at uh, the Sioux Falls Church of Christ sometime, uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, you've got a slave yep. question here.
1: It's about a question, about an answer I gave, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the question is, Ephesians 6 talks about slaves. Why did you call them employees? And to be quite honest, I know I had the question, but I could not find my notes exactly as to what I answered. So let me do my best to give a guess as to what I answered and explain it just a little bit. First of all, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Paul writes, bond servants, this is from the English Standard, bondservants, servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. As you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. We'll hold the scripture on there for just a second. Uh, the, the in the English Standard Translation, it says uh, bond servants, which is the word doulos, and then he goes on to say, obey your earthly masters. Now, this is a case where it could certainly have applied towards slaves and masters in that century. Slavery's been around for, for a long time in this old world, still is around today. And he was addressing Christians who were in that situation, people who had come to faith in Christ and how to live as a Christian even though they were in servitude to someone else. Uh, the Old, the New Testament book, short little book of Philemon uh, is this uh, interesting letter uh, where Paul writes to Onesimus concerning Philemon, his servant, his slave. And so he's addressing someone in a condition. The word doulos, simp in the Greek, is translated as bondservant, servant, or slave, which was kind of a a broad term. So if someone had gone into debt, they owed a debt they couldn't repay, sometimes they would go into slavery to be a bondservant to to pay off the debt. It wasn't necessarily always a lifetime position, but it certainly was until they had worked off the, what they owed their master. Some cases it was a lifetime position, but it could be translated either way with that word. So in our modern the relationship between a boss and an employee could, uh, uh, we could think about it in the same way. Our boss or wherever we go to work, they are in some sense an earthly master. And so we want to work well, we want to obey them, we want to please them uh, because we're serving Christ is the whole point of Ephesians chapter six. So it's sometimes referred to someone who voluntarily was in this position, but sometimes it also referred to a permanent position of servitude. Because the word referred to both, it could have, as we think of it today, might imply to an employee, employer, not always, but that's one example of what it might look like. So context is important, we've got to think of that when we read scripture. Hope that explains just a little bit. It certainly could have applied both to slaves in servitude and people working off a debt. So I hope that clarifies a little bit, um, and uh, God bless you in your study of God's Word.
0: All right, question about Satan. Viewer wants to know, was Satan the most beautiful angel? Well, I think <coughs> many people have heard that. Uh, it's kind of the story about Satan is he was an angel that rebelled, and he was the most beautiful angel, and he was the head of the angels or something, uh, all sorts of that. And my answer to was he is, well, maybe. Uh, It's quite possible he was. Uh, Where people get that idea uh, is in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12, Uh, there's a prophecy that's talking about the king of Tyre, actually, and it says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now if you go back just one verse, you see that this whole passage is written to the king of Tyre. but. So much of it sounds like Satan that uh, most a lot of people think well, maybe it applies to both of them. So there's the idea it came from uh, we're not. Sure, we're not assured that that was talking about Satan. All right, let's take time to answer our trivia question today. Uh, which bird did Noah release first from the ark, uh, the dove or the raven? And if you read Genesis chapter 8, you'll find out he let the raven lose first and then the dove later. We're glad that you've been with us today on Know Your Bible, and we hope you come back next week for more questions. Until then, have a great week.